morning. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I mentioned a few sermons ago that uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, a good portion of it parallels very closely with James chapter 4. And here we are entering into that parallel section. And Peter is going to teach us about humility. That's the focus of this section and this sermon. He teaches us about humility towards one another. And then he teaches us about humility toward God. We will focus this morning on humility towards one another. And so our focus will be on the the second part of verse 5, but we're going to read that all the way through verse 7. So let's read 1 Peter 5 beginning in the second part of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. As I mentioned a moment ago, our focus is going to be on the command to be humble towards one another. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And while we're still looking at the text, while we're still looking at 1 Peter, turn back with me to chapter 3. And look at verse 8, because as we've seen time and time again, Peter repeats himself. Uh, He teaches in sort of cycles, and he's already commanded humility for everyone. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, a humble disposition. And when we preached that text... I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because we'll come back to humility later in the, in the book. And so here we are, we've arrived at a, a larger exposition of humility. And our outline's going to have four points, but before we start those four points, let me define humility for you. If you want to obey the command to be humble, you need to know what humility is. What does it mean to be humble? So let's define it. And here is a true and good definition of humility. Humility is a mature and moderate opinion of yourself, a mature and moderate opinion of yourself, and a kind and charitable opinion of others. A kind and charitable opinion of others. Notice that this definition is first inward, an opinion of yourself, moderate and mature, and then it's outward, a generous and kind and charitable opinion of others. And that is humility. And it's important that we define this because for whatever reason, I don't know if it's that we were ever taught this, but people seem to come a- away with the impression that humility is somehow self-abasement and self loathing almost, or that humility is humiliation. And humility is not humiliation. Humility is not self-loathing. Humility is not self-abasement. Being humble does not mean that you demean yourself. 
Being humble does not mean that you downplay and dismiss and discourage yourself. And there's an irony if you do that, in that the one who abases themselves and demeans themselves and downplays themselves and discourages themselves is incredibly self-centered, which is the opposite of humility. So humility is not self-loathing. It's not humiliation. It's not a cruel, self-destructive pride, because pride is self-centeredness, and self-loathing and self-humiliation are self-centered. In fact, we all know that there are many people who speak ill of themselves precisely to solicit or elicit positive comments from other people. (laughs) You don't have to be on social media very long to see girls who post a picture of themselves always with a negative comment about themselves in hopes that the other girls will respond and say, no, you're so pretty. No, you look so good. No, your hair looks so great. No, you're the prettiest. They post something of themselves with an intentional self-abasing comment in order to solicit praise, which means they're not being humble. They're actually being proud. So humility is not self-loathing. Humility is not humiliation. It's a mature and moderate opinion of yourself and a kind and charitable opinion of others. Listen to this verse from Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Romans 12 verse 3 where the apostle Paul says, I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Okay, don't think too much of yourself. But then he says, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul says, yes, don't think too highly of yourselves, but he's also saying don't think too lowly of yourselves. Think of yourself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So if you demean yourself, if you loathe yourself, you're actually failing to appreciate and enjoy the gifts that God has given to you. If we humiliate ourselves when God has given us good things... It becomes ingratitude, a self-centered, prideful ingratitude, all of which makes no sense. It's nonsensical. But Peter here commands us in 1 Peter 5.5 to clothe ourselves with humility. To clothe ourselves with humility. So this does not mean that we all become Eeyore, and everywhere we go a rain cloud follows us and we live in gloom all the time. Woe is me, woe is me, I am nothing, I am no one. That's not humility. That's not humility. Humility is a mature and measured, it's measured, it corresponds to who and what you are. That's humility, to state who you are, to state what you are in a moderate and measured and mature way, that is humility. And to think of others with a kind and charitable opinion That is also humility. And that outward, other-focused humility is what Peter calls us to in this verse. Now let's get into our outline with four points. Number one is entitled, One Uniform, Different Ranks. One Uniform, Different Ranks. The context for this verse is Peter's previous teaching of the structure of the authority in the church, where the 
the elders have government and oversight over the church, and the members are in submission to the elders, and we talked about what that looks like and how that works. So there is a hierarchy, there is a structure and an order in the church of elders and members. But Peter here transitions to all of you. This now applies to everyone, whether elder or member, everyone in the church, everyone in this structure and order must be clothed with the same clothing. They must all have the same uniform. Namely, you must all clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So as the elders were commanded not to lord their authority over the members, so the members are commanded to be in submission to the elders, and all of them are commanded to be humble towards one another. If the elders were not humble towards the members, they would lord their authority over them, and that would be wrong, and that would be sinful. And if the members were not humble in their place, they would not be submissive to the elders, and that would be wrong, and that would be sinful. Everyone, Peter commands, is to clothe themselves with humility. So we all have the same uniform, humility, even if we have different ranks, officers and members. Everyone, nevertheless, has the same uniform. We should all have a moderate and mature opinion of ourselves and a kind and a charitable opinion of others. And we all know, or should know, that humility is necessary for any order and any structure. In government, in the family, or marriage especially, marriage and the family, in the workplace, and in the church. These are places that have God-given structures and orders. And a lack of humility in any of these orders leads to abuses and sins from anyone in any position. Husbands who lack humility and are proud can be abusive and terrible overlords, which is not what a husband should be. A wife who lacks humility can be unsubmissive and cause all kinds of problems in the home. That's not what she should be. Children should be submissive to their parents. And when they're not, it disrupts the order and so on and so forth. Many times, this disruption in, in any order comes from pride and not humility, or rather a lack of humility. If you resent those who have authority over you. That's pride, and that's a lack of humility. If you lord your authority that you might have over others, that's pride and a lack of humility. And so in the context of the church, for officers or for members, a lack of humility would be destructive to the entire order and to the unity and the purpose of the church. We must all clothe ourselves with humility. It marks us. It identifies us. It shows who we are. It characterizes us. As Annie said, you're never fully dressed without humility. That's what she said. You're never fully dressed without humility. That's what Peter says. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. One uniform, even if you have different ranks, you all have the same uniform. Secondly, one Lord, many servants. One Lord, many servants. No matter who you are or where you are in the, in the order of the church, officer or member, you're all servants of Jesus Christ, all with one and the same Lord. And it is a Christ-centered humility 
that is necessary in the church. Why should we clothe ourselves with humility? Well, because Peter commanded it. Yes, thank you very much. But why? Why should we be humble? Because it's a virtue? Yes, that's true. But above all, because it's Christ-like. To be humble is to be like our Lord. To be humble is to be like Jesus. To be humble is to walk in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be humble is to be a servant of the Lord. We've seen time and time again in 1 Peter that we are commanded to imitate Jesus and follow his example. And if Jesus was humble, then we too ought to be humble because he is. And he said himself in Matthew 11, verse 29, I am lowly in heart. The same word that Peter uses to command us to be humble. Jesus says, I am lowly in heart. And Paul said in Philippians 2, 8, that Jesus Christ humbled himself. He humbled himself. Jesus is an example of humility to us. And his humility in the incarnation, his humility in living and dying for us is the very foundation of why we're even here. Why are we Christians? Why are we the church? It is because of what Jesus has done for us and for our salvation, for our benefit, and to rescue us from the darkness and the dominion of hell. Who is a a member of the church, or rather, who is a Christian and says, it's because of my greatness? (laughs) Who says, I'm a Christian because of what I have done? We just sang, not what my hands have done. Christians do not plead their own merits, their own well-doing. Christians do not plead their own greatness as the foundation for their standing in the church or in, in the faith or in eternal life. Rather, we all look to another. We all look to one who is outside of us, Jesus Christ, and his perfect life and perfect death as the foundation for who we are and why we are the church. He is our Lord who has given us everything. And because he's given us everything, we so dedicate ourselves to him that we can call ourselves servants and slaves of Jesus Christ. Fully, nothing held back, fully given and committed, handed over, giving ourselves to the Lord. We are his servants. And he gave us an example of humility to follow. He was born in a stable, laid in a manger, traveled and taught and healed and encouraged and preached. He washed feet. He raised the dead. And in exchange, what did he get? He was ridiculed, questioned, mocked, disbelieved, criticized, ostracized, threatened, abandoned, betrayed, unjustly arrested, unjustly accused, unjustly convicted, unjustly sentenced, and unjustly murdered. He lived and died in humble service and was repaid with cruelty and injustice and ingratitude. Why did he endure all that shame and suffering? For us, for you, for me. The Lord of glory clothed himself with humility when he clothed himself with our flesh and served others. And we who are his servants ought to think highly of one another and look at one another and say, they too are the servants of the same Lord. He is our one Lord and we are his many servants. So to have a moderate and and mature opinion of yourself is to see yourself under the Lord Jesus Christ. And to have a kind and charitable opinion of others is to see them as your fellow servants and soldiers in service of one Lord and Master. As Paul said, what do we have that we have not received? 
we are all equal heirs of equal grace, sinners saved by God, officers and members, men and women, young and old, wealthy and poor, we all have the same standing in our Lord. Thirdly, how can we clothe ourselves with humility? Number three, no one is too good to serve, nor too bad to be served. No one is too good to serve, nor too bad to be served. Humility is not just opinions. We defined humility as an opinion of yourself, moderate and mature, an opinion of others, kind and charitable. Humility doesn't stop, it doesn't begin and end with opinions. Humility is exercised. Humility is practiced. Humility manifests itself in service and love towards one another. So if we clothe ourselves in humility and follow Jesus' footsteps, we will perform acts that flow from that humility. So we will not consider certain tasks to be beneath us. If stacking chairs, mopping floors, cleaning dishes, emptying trash, or serving in the nursery is beneath you, then you have a serious pride issue. No one is too good to serve. But that's the easy case. That's the easy case to say, okay, I'll, I'll help out with the practical things. But what about people? What about when the service required is not a thing, but a person? That's when it becomes particularly difficult to show true humility. You don't want to get involved with someone that you judge to be unworthy of your efforts. And if that is your mindset, then you need to be rebuked for your pride. James rebuked Christians for giving different treatment based on people's clothing when they came into the church. You sit here and you sit there based on their socioeconomic status, which we judge based on outward things like clothing. Do we do the same? I'm willing to serve my friends. I'm willing to serve the people I know. I'm willing to serve people that it's comfortable for me to serve. But that other person, so-and-so, no. I don't even want to get close. I don't want to even know about it. I don't want to have to think about it. That's pride. No one is too good to serve, and no one is too bad to be served in the church. If we clothe ourselves with humility, we should be ready to serve any and all of the brethren. Why? Because we're not better than them and they're not worse than us. Jesus said that the servant is not greater than his master, and he washed feet. We ought also to be equally willing to serve others, even in circumstances we find difficult or circumstances we find to be less desirable for various reasons. Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, he said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's an opinion of others. Count them as more significant. He says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. A true humility, clothing ourselves with humility, means highly prizing and valuing the interests and the needs of other people and placing them higher in our own personal chart of priorities to say, I will serve them. 
I will care for them. I will view them as, as greater and more important than myself and their needs as more important than my, than my own. Now, are there not limits and, or limitations to such things? Yes, there are. That's true. But we're talking about at least beginning with an inward willingness a heart disposition towards others, a clothing of yourselves with humility that looks at others and says, they are precious in God's eyes, so they are precious in my eyes too. Still in 1 Peter, let's turn back to chapter 2. We need to see ourselves and others as God sees ourselves and others. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9-10. Remember who you are, who God says that you are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't just think of yourself in these terms. Think of all of God's people in these terms. Don't exclude someone from this. We are a chosen race, except for that guy. We are a royal priesthood, except for that girl. We are this, except for them. It applies to all of us. A measured and mature opinion of yourself a humble opinion will see yourself in this way because it's true of you. You don't say, oh, God can't love me. Oh, not me. I'm not part of this. That would not be humility. That would be humiliation. Humility would be seeing yourself as a child of God, precious in his eyes. And then humility towards others is saying, and they are also a child of God, precious in his eyes. And I need to love and serve them. Peter says, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility. Be covered by humility. Be identified and characterized by humility. Such a humility that says you're not too good to serve. And no one is too bad to be served. Fourthly and lastly, and we'll spend the rest of our time under this heading. Number four, a house divided. A house divided. Here we see a Christ-like and a Christ-centered humility. But what goes against this? What's opposite to this kind of humility? If humility unites the church and leads to humble service towards others, where all of the same uniform, the same same uniform, even if different ranks, the same Lord, even if various and diverse servants. What will disunite and divide the church? Well, the the obvious answer is pride, isn't it? Pride. But let me be more specific. And I want to give you four pairs of things that we must avoid. If we clothe ourselves with humility, we will avoid these four pairs of things in order to avoid a house divided. If you're humble, you will not do these things. And if you do these things, you will divide the house of God and destroy its unity and charity. So the first pair is criticism and suspicion. Criticism and suspicion. If being humble means thinking highly of others and charitably, 
of others, then we ought to not magnify their faults and flaws. We don't search and criticize looking for what is off, looking for what is not quite right among our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should not have a critical spirit. If you only ever see the negative in other people, and if you have a critical spirit, then you have a pride problem because you enjoy sitting in judgment on other people. I decide what's right and wrong in your life. I decide what's on and off, what's correct and incorrect in other people's lives. If you constantly see and say the negative in your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you sit in judgment upon them and you are prideful in your own heart, you are at least prideful towards them. Now the critic will say, but it's true. But those things are wrong in their lives and there may be truth in it, but why do you delight in seeing and saying it? Why do you delight in criticizing Besides, you might not be right. Just because you think something is off or incorrect in someone else's life, you could be wrong. Don't be so self-assured and proud that you're convinced all of your opinions about other people are right. Now you're not just a critic, you're an infallible critic. That's not going to help you or anyone. Humility thinks kindly and charitably of others. Maybe I'm wrong. I see something But maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to put the best construction on this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love believes all things. Not all things are believable. Let's not be blind, but let's not be critical and suspicious either. Love believes all things. Love is willing to believe all things. So the humble are not critical and the humble are not suspicious. Always judging motives always thinking there must be more, always thinking there's something hidden. Where does the suspicion come from? Does it come from things they've done that are suspicious? Or does it come from your heart that is just suspicious in general? Now, the person with a suspicious heart will say, they're doing suspicious things. (laughs) But again, you could be wrong. Maybe you just have a suspicious lens that doubts people all the time. If they do something suspicious... That's their problem. If they do something worthy of criticism, they have to live with that. And the critic and this and this uh, suspector, we're going to use that word, are constantly going to appeal to that. But search your heart. Search your heart. Where is this criticism coming from? Where is this suspicion coming from? Well, I've been around long enough. I know. That's, that's pride. Yes, maybe you have experience. Maybe you have insight. But don't assume that your opinions and judgments are always right or always infallible. Don't be critical and suspicious. That is not clothing yourselves with humility towards others. The second pair, bitterness or unforgiveness. Peter said in chapter 4, verse 8, he said, above all, he's saying priority number one, DEFCON is one the best... Never mind. I don't know how DEFCONs work, so I won't use them. Maximum priority. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. But someone who is proud holds on to offenses against them. 
They're bitter and unforgiving. But the humble man knows that he himself has sinned against others. The humble man knows that he desires the forgiveness of others. The humble man knows he has been forgiven by Jesus Christ. The humble man knows he ought to forgive others. Humility manifests itself, among other things, in forgiveness and not holding on to offenses. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that love keeps no record of wrongs. But the proud person refuses to forgive and to forget. They are bitter and unforgiving. But let me make an important qualification here or or further clarification. What does it mean to forgive and forget? If you weren't present for our sermons on marriage and the family where we discussed this, the forgetting part of forgiveness is not a magical memory wipe. Forgetting does not mean it's no longer in your memory. The forgetting part of forgiveness means that once it's forgiven, you don't bring it back up. And if it comes back to your mind, now you face a temptation. You face a temptation, shall I dwell on this in bitterness and unforgiveness? Or shall I banish it from my mind because it's been forgiven? So the forgetting is not a magical memory wipe. It's an intentional a proactive and a specific refusing to reuse someone's past sins against them because they've been forgiven. And the more you do that, the more things are truly forgotten. But it's not a magical memory wipe. Now, if they repeat the offense, then does it not need to be dealt with again? Yes, that's true. But we should not repeat an offense that hasn't been repeated. You see what I mean? If they have repented and been forgiven, it is done And it is gone, but the proud person will still desire to sit over the one who's offended them, even though a kind of forgiveness has been given, and they'll bring it back. They'll bring it back. Even though the offense hasn't been repeated, they will, the the one who ought to forgive will repeat the memory of the offense. And that's pride sitting over that person and using it and manipulating them with it. It's bitterness and unforgiveness. That's not humility towards others, which desires reconciliation, which desires to be together and and on the same level with your brother and sister. No, it's bitter. It's unforgiving. It's wicked. Don't dwell on the past. Don't hold the past against people. That's pridefulness and self-centeredness. I remember when they, I remember when they, Forgive and forget. Also, be difficult to offend. (laughs) Be difficult to offend and easy to satisfy. Be difficult to offend and easy to satisfy. It's hard to offend me and it's easy for me to forgive you. That should be our mindset of humility towards one another. Where someone says something that uh, it provokes your heart and you think to yourself, they probably didn't mean that. You think to yourself, I've said dumb things before plenty of times. You just let it go be difficult to offend. Just just let it go. And if it's really offense, then you say to them, brother, that that hurt my feelings. That, That offended me. But be difficult to offend. Love covers a multitude of sins. And clothing yourselves with humility towards one another means you don't think of yourself so highly that when they provoke and offend you with something, it gets magnified times 100. Clothe yourselves with humility Be willing to forgive, forget, and forego. Do not be bitter and unforgiving. Thirdly, the third pair, 
ambition or vanity. If we clothe ourselves with humility, we will reject ambition and vanity. No one should be ambitious in the church. What is there to be ambitious for (laughs) in the church? Well, the pastoral office. There's no crown of gold. There's no throne of ivory. What are you ambitious for? Being a servant of all? Okay, then that's not ambition. (laughs) That's a sincere desire to serve. And Paul says if you desire the office of elder, you desire a good thing. But we're talking about ambition, a desire to rise, a desire to ascend. If everyone's clothed with humility, then ascending over that group can only mean one thing, taking Jesus' place. There's no, there should be no ambition in the church. If you desire to serve, then you desire to lower yourself and give to everyone. It's a ministry. But there are men who desire to ascend to the pastoral office, to be seen, to be recognized. And no doubt that would be a disqualifying mark for a pastoral candidate or a pastor. It's good to aspire to the office of elder, but if your motivation is to ascend, not to serve, you don't belong in the ministry. But this applies to all members of the church. There are other people who desire to ascend in other ways because they desire to be seen. They desire to be recognized. They desire to be praised by others. And this is not, this is not humility. This is pride. This is ambition and vanity. A desire to, be, to, to receive glory, not to give humble service. A desire to do our righteousness before men like the Pharisees. Jesus says, don't go out to the street corner where everyone can see and hear you. He says, go into your room, go into the closet of your room where no one can see you, no one can hear you, and then offer your prayers to God. Be content to serve because you are serving, not because you are getting some kind of glory. Be satisfied in the act of serving, not in the the applause that might come from it. it. Is it not appropriate to thank people and to recognize people for their service in the church? Certainly, but that's not why we should serve. Let us be content to bring glory to Christ in our service, whether we are recognized for it or not. The fourth and last pair, which is similar to this previous one, fourthly, rivalry or revenge. Rivalry or revenge. Sometimes someone else gets in the way of your ambition, and now it becomes a rivalry. Sometimes your bitterness leads to revenge. And rivalry or or revenge will destroy a church. And of course, they're antithetical. They are opposite to true humility. If there's someone else in the church with similar gifts to you, then rejoice that the Lord has abundantly blessed the church, that there's two of you. (laughs) That's a good thing. Don't see it as competition or rivalry, as though one must ascend and the other must behold their victory. You will watch me. (laughs) But not all rivalries are obvious. In fact, most are not. Because women are also very competitive with each other. And sometimes they facilitate rivalry in the church through their husbands, and their husbands may not even know it. 
my husband was asked to do such and such. They bask in their husband's glory, so-called, and they seek to do all they can to promote him because what they want is glory for themselves by proxy. And there are men and women who are competitive and who are rivals in the church, and we must reject a prideful heart that would manifest itself in rivalries that come from them. You might think to yourself, who would do these things? No, that can't be. I've seen it all in our church in my time as a pastor. All of these things, this whole list of four pairs, all eight things in some form or another, to some degree or another, at some time or another, we've already seen them all in our church. It does happen. And if we think it can't or won't happen to us, then we have a pride problem. We're thinking too highly of ourselves. We need to be realistic, mature, measured, moderate, and say, I am absolutely, poss- I am absolutely capable of falling into these sins. Well, I don't want to be a pastor, so I guess I don't have to worry about this. No, you can be vainglorious and ambitious and a rival and competitive, even if you do not hold any office whatsoever. And one woman can be bitter and upset that her husband wasn't recognized for something that someone else's husband was, or her husband wasn't offered an office when uh, her husband wasn't offered an office and another wife's, another woman's husband was, and so on and so forth. Or you're upset because you worked on something, but only one person was actually recognized for it. And so I'm going to resent you because you got what I wanted. I'll whisper about you as a means of revenge. Okay, they won this time, but I can ruin their victory. I can still get in my victory by doing what I can to poison the well, so to speak, and say things about them. Okay, now they're in this office, but I know things, or this and that and the other. Rivalry and revenge are wicked and have no place in the Christian or in the church. And it may sound strange to think of these actions, but they do happen. And we all have to guard our hearts against them. It's something that we as elders have to work on amongst ourselves to work together as as five elders with different opinions, with different ideas, with different perspectives at times. We enjoy, praise the Lord, a very good unity, but we don't always have the same opinion about things. And so it's important that we have a humility so that we can work together and find the best solution uh, cooperatively. And this applies to the deacons amongst themselves, and it applies to the elders with the deacons, a willingness to work together, not rivalry, not revenge, not ambition, not vanity, not bitterness and unforgiveness, but rather a true humility which helps us work together. The moment that we as elders begin to have pride or envy or bitterness against one another is the moment our the eldership sinks. <laughs> and the same applies to the diaconate, and the same applies to the church. Brothers and sisters, in conclusion, why are we here? What is the purpose for which we assemble ourselves? Why do we participate in the life of the church? Is it to prosper ourselves by exploiting others? Well, of course not. We're not here to glory in ourselves. We're not here to seek the praise of others. We said last week that we are here to assemble and adore. 
to worship and to serve our Savior. We're here to exalt and thank our great and glorious God, to serve one another, to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. And as we do this with a Christ-centered humility and a Christ-patterned or Christ-modeled humility, the more we become like Jesus Christ and the more he receives the glory. And the more we love one another, the more his love flows through us to one another. As he has forgiven us, so we forgive one another. As he has loved us, so we love one another. As he has served us, so we serve one another. As he sacrificed himself for us, so we sacrifice ourselves for for one another. As he clothed himself with humility, so we clothe ourselves with humility. And as the Father exalted and glorified him, so we seek to exalt and glorify him through our humility and our service and our love. That is our goal. That is our purpose. If we live for his glory and for the good of his people, then we will have a moderate and mature opinion of ourselves and a kind and charitable opinion of others. And these, this disposition of humility will be expressed in actions of humility to the glory of God. May he help us to do this and to put to death our pride. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that ultimate example of humility. And we thank you that as we clothe ourselves with humility, we do not do so with an abstract virtue, but with a Christ-likeness. Help us to be more like Jesus, we pray. Help us to be more like our Lord, more like our master. The servant is not greater than his master. As he served, so help us to serve. And we pray that you would help us to root out and to put to death the pride that most certainly dwells within each and every one of us. And though we may be tempted to manifest that pride in different ways, help us to resist. Help us to hate our pride. Help us to love one another. We pray that you would please answer this prayer for your glory and the good of your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.